A couple of years ago, I joined a community called Peak Community that I thought would be a great source of business development and personal growth for me. But what I didn't realize is that this community would be the template that I would use going forward as an example of a successful online community based on the principles that I most believe. And that's why I've been waiting a while to really bring this story to you by having Judd Barakov, the co-founder of this community, along with Sangram Vajre, to talk to you all about how they first got started on this thing, the things that they did wrong at the beginning, the things they did right, what's really worked for them throughout, and how you can do this yourself. So I think you're really, really going to love this episode. Judd is a super connector and a really, really intelligent marketer and strategist in his own right that started a new company along with his co-founder, Sangram, called Go to Market Partners. So we talk about that as well, but I really want you to pay attention to how they went to market with this community at the right time, did the right things. You're really, really going to enjoy this. As you can tell, this is a internet talk show, the thing we most preach that drives community using very similar concepts to the things that um, has made peak community successful, but it is a once a week live podcast where I get to build a relationship one-on-one with somebody that is a strategic partner to me uh, in front of a group of folks that are in my community that get to know each other, ask questions, be part of the conversation. And then right after we go into a live AMA called Relationship Driven Growth Strategy Sessions, where we help each other resolve our most pressing issues. And you have uh, my time and everybody else's time there to help you. So I hope you join us one of these days before right now, Check the link and sign up for the next one and enjoy this time with Judd Burakov. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, Then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... 
I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. We're officially live on Facebook, B2B Community Builder Show, episode like 197, I think, Rowan, how far off am I? Let me know. 197, I nailed it. All right, I'm your chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. With me today is a guy that I'm super pumped to get inside of his brain because for a long time, I have been part of this community, Peak Community, which from the day I joined, immediately slapped me across the face of how well thought out this is. As a community nerd, there's a lot of things that are happening inside of Peak Community that I just find completely genius. And that's why I call it the best community that I'm a part of. Judd is like the Judd Borico. He is the Chief Growth Officer at GTM, Go to Market Partners, right? GTM yep. Partners, Red Monkey Consulting, something like that. Yep. Red I Monkey do a couple things. Is a partner. Right? Yeah, he's like the guy behind the guy who, you know, like takes all the onboarding calls and then is like, I know everybody in the world, but nobody knows me. So we're gonna put a little, we're gonna put a little shite on his on his good looking mug over here. The uh, straight out of Atlanta, Georgia, the uh, a fellow Outcast fan, from what I understand. A hundred percent. Judd Borico, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. I I appreciate you making time for me, man. I know you guys are in the middle of a road show. You're launching companies. You got a you got a a big impressive Rolodex. So making time for me is amazing. A little tradition that we do here on the show is we got a roll call where we acknowledge everybody. And Lee Bishop, welcome to the show. He is the troublemaker of my community. We got Patrick Herbert on the show. He's saying what's up, Pablo. Venia Logan, who is the community scientist, as we like to as we like to call her, real compelling conversations. We got Denise Bachman. Welcome to the show, Denise. Good to have you here for the, from Houston. We got Jeff Rowe in the house. Jeff, a superstar community manager I just recently shared the stage with at um, Grazidis, Grazidis Conference. Suzanne Taylor King, who is a community builder and a show, a coach of coaches. She is a really brilliant person. Don Bates is our resident Oxford PhD candidate, graduate, fighter for human rights all over the world. She's a, she's a, she's like a genius. And Aaron Birrell, first time. Aaron, good to have you here. So pumped to have everybody in the house. Keep using the chat. Keep making friends with each other. Keep it in the Q&A. At 5.30, we're rolling into relationship-driven growth strategy sessions. I got a couple doozies for you, and I'm really excited to share. But right now, man, more than anything, I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to pick this guy's pick this guy's brain. Judd, tell me what is what is peak community right now? How would you describe it? Community for marketers who are trying to take that next step in their career, become a CMO, a CEO. Uh, we got a big belief that CMOs are the next CEOs. And so we're just trying to make it possible for people to have a place to go to find the things that they need to progress in their careers, connect with other people, build community and relationships. And really kind of be that that go-to place that is really specific to their need. Love it. Love it, man. How many members does it have? Six, seven hundred. About six, seven hundred, right? So like as as we were chatting before the show, I was gonna ask you kind of like what's in it for you. I do the math. I think it's like 200 bucks a year. Some some I don't know if it's gone up since I since I joined or you gave me the buddy discount, right? So somewhere around like average, average cost of like 200 bucks a year, six, seven hundred people, people can do the math. But you were telling me that you guys launched this. You and Sangram launched this as a partnership? Yep. So, yeah, uh, yeah we, we launched it right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. And we saw a lot of people struggling. We knew we wanted to do something together. Him and I have been friends for a long time. If you don't know Sangram, he's a 
was the CMO over at Pardot, started a company called Terminus, one of the founders there. And then we've recently started go-to-market partners. And we just knew we wanted to do something. We were like, how do we give back in this time? And we said, let's service what we know best, which were marketers. And we started mostly just how do we help? It was, you know, our initial tagline, get 1% better every day, came to, you know, really become and get to your goal, recycle, be the CMO, be the CEO. And yeah, it's a passion project. It's not something that we have built to say, let's go monetize it and make a bunch of money on. You know, it pays for our community manager. It helps pay for some of the other little things that we need from tech to events, but that's about it. So it it is something, it is truly from a place of love. Yeah, yeah. Well, so is Terry, so Terry's the community manager. Is she the only full-time staff, like domestic full-time staff? Yes. Any other VAs, any other kind of like uh, infrastructure? Yeah, yeah, we have VAs that help as well. We also have a board who actually chips in. And these are like executive level marketing leaders that actually do some of the stuff, get in the community, communicate with people, come and help plan events, lead events, things like that. Cool. So I just want to, I just want to like talk about this, right? So yep. around the $200 ticket a year, about 600 members, that's significant revenue. It can pay a salary and you, and you all invest a lot in events and production and and really cool things. You 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 just said it a little while ago. Not not a money maker for you yet. I think it's pretty clear that putting together you know the top one percent of the marketing community across the world and being kind of like the stage where that network gathers can lead to other very very positive externalities. Of one, you have just launched. A new company, go to market. Sangram launched a, a book, had unbelievable distribution, made the Wall Street Journal bestseller. Yep. Was was any of that stuff? Did you guys have any of that? Was it even a twinkle in your eye when you were started thinking about it? Of like, hey, this could lead to something else. But right now, let's just add value. Was there any kind of like? So, so the truth is, yeah, there's like some of it. You're always like, hey, I'm going to do something and meet people. I'm a relationship builder. That is, you know, I call it one of my superpowers. I love people. I love to give. You know, I've never met a person I haven't tried to help. And for me, a lot of the value was, look, I know getting to know people means at some point, even if we don't do business, we'll find ways to do things together. Uh, so yeah, was there some of that thought? I'm sure. You know, we, we had enough conversations, but in truth, it wasn't this like, oh, master plan. We're going to build a community and make a lot of money or, or open a lot of doors. Because quite frankly, like, you know, we both know a lot of people. I do executive coaching. I deal with a lot of execs regularly. And, you know, Sangram has been in tech for so long and is very well connected. So, yes, it was there, but I don't think it was the master plan the whole time. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you guys both, Sangram has a beast. He has already done a roadshow and launched a super successful company and had already published a book. You were clearly a guy with like a very, very solid network. You call this thing the labor of love. Was there anything that scared you about getting this thing started? In the pandemic, the first thought was, is anyone going to show up? (laughs) You know, we decided from day one to make it a paid community. And it wasn't because we were trying to monetize it. We actually wanted to create a paywall to keep out like salespeople and, and the people that really didn't fit into who our target audience was, our ICP. And so there was a little bit of fear around that. Like, is this something that makes sense at this time? People were scared at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, they, we, we didn't know if people would spend money on it. We didn't make it big. I mean, it's like 10 bucks a month, nothing crazy. But that didn't compute with a lot of the other people, what they were doing. We're big believers in when people zig, you zag, we go the other direction. A ton of communities had launched, uh, you know, around that time, a little bit before Pavilion, some others, and, you know, Rev Partners. We just saw a lot popping up. 
a lot of them were free and they grew very rapidly. But what we didn't want is to have a massive community with no engagement. And one of the things I think I pride myself on, you know, there's two areas, but one major one is the engagement that occurs with the people in the community. It's very high. People actually appreciate it, take advantage of it, get on phone calls together. And we we promote that constantly. Yeah, yeah, you totally do, man. So let's talk about in the beginning, right? You are launching from zero, paid community. You're, you know that immediate engagement is critical. What is the launch plan? Like, how do you get it so that you're not either bringing in a bunch of people in his crickets or you don't have enough people to come in? Like, how, how did you how did you envision the launch and how to go? We started circulating the idea of it, you know, using our network, LinkedIn, doing the kind of standard stuff, you know, founder-led growth. And as we started to communicate with people and talk to people, as soon as somebody would come in, it was hands-on, right? And we learned, like, I, I actually still do onboardings on Friday for members. So if you join, you'll see me. That didn't start that way. We didn't know what we didn't know at that point. And we got people in and we, you know, we were posting content. We were trying to reach out to people. We we're trying to get on phone calls. And that actually worked really, really well. But we started to, to have as the standard problems that businesses does do, do its churn, right? Are we getting the right audience? Are we thinking through what value is to them? It doesn't make sense for them to engage. We decided not to do a Slack channel. We wanted to do a platform, which is, you know, very was very different at the time. Everybody was doing a Slack channel. We just felt there's not enough connectivity. It's too easy to get lost. That was a scary endeavor, but you know, we 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 thought it made sense. And even to this day, some people are like, "Hey, I prefer Slack." That's fine. Everybody's got their their you know what they like, but we just said we want something different. So I think one of the big learnings was like we, you've got to stay focused on that ICP. You've got to know who you're going after, and you've got to really cater to that instead of trying to be everything to everybody. Because we could have. I mean, marketers. There's so many of them. You say we're for all marketers. In the grand scheme, not really. If you have no career progressions, if you're not looking for that, that like, how do I get better? Not just at like paid and things like, like, how do we really grow as a marketer and a business leader? We're not for you. There you go. So, so Patrick Herbert, there's your, there's your question. Has it got a Slack channel? The answer is a big fat no. Patrick says Slack rhymes with crack and he's fiending. What, uh, you, you launched on, did you launch from Mighty Networks from the beginning? We did. What was the, what was the kind of like research that you did that told you, did you, did you? Tell me about that decision. So we looked at Slack first and we were going to be like, yes, let's do Slack. And we started kind of getting into some of the free communities and just seeing how the messaging was, how hard it was to stay up on things, how people would get lost and disappear in the mix. I have a couple of friends who run communities as well. A good friend of mine runs Women in Revenue. And you know, she would tell me what was going on over there. And we just said, like, you know, let's find something that one, people are already comfortable with. So if you if you were familiar with Mighty Networks, it feels very LinkedIn. You know, you get in there, you kind of know where to go and we hand walk you through that too. But it, it was one of those, we want to be different and we want to create actual connectivity versus just preach at people. I've seen a lot of these communities, they're fo- so focused on the individual who started them that the only thing that happens is they talk to the audience and there's no talking back. We didn't want that. We didn't want it to be about us. We wanted it to be about the people that were in there and we wanted them to be talking and driving the the value. Man, that is a that is something I want to dive deep into, but I want to I want to stick kind of like with the origins real quick before we go into that because I think that that's that's where that's that's where the light turned on for me that I'm like this place is special. But 
back to so a little teaser for later in the show. But um, back back to the beginning, right? So you are you're driving people to a new platform that's not a habit form thing that they're using. What did the first like week were you guys just like, all right, we got I'm going to pre-sell like 50 people and then we're going to launch so that we have some people in there. Were, were you just going one by one? Were you just calling friends? Did you have maybe like 10 heavy hitters in your network that were in for free and you knew we're going to be the Avengers first? Like talk to me about from like zero to like 40. We we definitely started with inviting some people that we knew just to have some conversation going because nobody wants to be the first. And you know how hard it is that if you're one in and you go one by one. It could be a month before you really have strong conversation. And there's a tipping point in communities. You got to get a couple hundred people in there to have enough conversation going that you can kind of take your hands off the steering wheel a little bit. You know, we were driving constant communication, asking questions, posting content, you know, minimum three times a week, if not more. And then trying to engage with the people on there. The people that we brought in initially said, hey, we'd love you to be a part of this. Here's what we're doing. And they said, sure. Now, some of them were very active and some really not at all. So. There was some value, I think, that just starting to really talk about it regularly and create a good relationship with the people that were in there just started to create that momentum because people started talking about it. We we didn't expect that there was going to be the virality that we've gotten. We even, you know, about a year ago went to invite only. And uh-huh. a lot of people, when you go invite only, you're shutting it down, right? You're like, okay, this is going to get small, but it's going to be real. We grew faster than we had before. People wanted in because, you know, the velvet rope approach, they're like, I can't have it now. I want it. And and it was really funny to us because that's not how we thought about it when we did it, but it's, it's just how it kind of occurred. So yes, initially got in some, some heavy hitters, people that were smart, could talk marketing all day long, and then just started bringing in people, you know, one by one, two by two, three by three. It, it really started to take off probably about by month three. By month three, yeah, and I love the I love that you called it the velvet rope, right? So, so Venya, who is a community members of ours that's that's been on the show before, she says it really nicely when she says that to be inclusionary, you have to be exclusionary, right? Like you got to be able to do it. For me, as a guy that grew up in Miami, Johnny nightclub promoter in the '90s, right? Like to me, the power of the velvet rope is very, very obvious for social dynamics. So when you when you all went invite only, I was like, oh man, it's really gonna take off, and and the other thing that I thought was really genius that until then I hadn't seen done so well is this like, hey, put on your LinkedIn that you are now joining Peak Community and it's an invite only community for top 1% marketers as like the description on LinkedIn. That was genius. Who came up with that one? Like, how'd you come up with that one? Well, we always wanted people to put it on LinkedIn that they were part of it. I mean, it just creates the virality for sure. But we knew that once we went invite only, I mean, one, there was two thoughts. One, it'll help growth if we want it. But the truth of the matter is we wanted more people to connect as marketers together. And what happens now is you've got to ask somebody. You may know somebody who's a part of it. You may not. If you don't, we we talked to, uh, who are we on? We're doing an event with Udi Langori, the CMO over at Gong. And it's funny, the day before he came on, he had like five random people ask him for invites to the community. So we knew it was, we knew it was working at that, at that point. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. And and events has been a big part of your strategy. So I came on because I saw a event with the authors of Play Bigger, right? Yeah. Like for me, I was a guy that like, I'm obsessed with category design. Right. I read Play Bigger early 2020. It's the only book I've ever played, I've ever read back to back. 
you know, like in one year. And I was just dying for something like that. So I, I tapped into, you had like an open event for everybody to come in. And from there, I was like, I'm all in on this. This is a no brainer for me. I remember. I remember. Yeah. Like you remember well, the call or you remember me like I remember you on the event. I remember our call. No, I I really do. It's not like blowing smoke either. I still yeah. remember because you were kind of like on the periphery, but you were like you were in the event commenting and you said something. You're like, yeah, I'm in, and like you you were in that week. Was that the all right? So once once you got beyond once you got beyond the initial outreach of just like texting people and whatnot and got some critical capacity. The, the idea of, we talk about this in the Relationship Flywheel Bootcamp, you want to throw a wide net and then you want to narrow the conversation into the thing that you're talking about. And I saw that as like, you have this event, you invite everybody with a big name that draws all the flies to the, you know, to the light. And then you, and then you offer kind of like to come in. Was that, was that the growth strategy? Is that the growth strategy before it became invite only? It was part of it. Obviously you want to get, you know, name brand recognition. And, you know, when you start something nobody knows about, they're like, I, I, yeah, I heard of this peak thing, but I don't even know what it is. And so, yes, we want to use brand names because, you know, it, it's, why do you bring people on a podcast, right? You get name brand recognition. Suddenly people see you as an expert as well. So there's an association factor, of course, but we even slowed that down. You know, if you've noticed, we haven't done really many external events anymore, not because, they're not valuable, but we think that we want to bring more value internally versus externally. So we've shifted. So it's not really part of the growth strategy anymore. Every so often we will, but I mean, we even did one with the CEO of HubSpot recently. And that was not external. That was internal only. And, you know, those are, that's the type of value we try to bring to the community. Cause I figure once you get to a certain size, as long as you take care of the people and we, we say, look, retention is the new acquisition. If you take care of the customers, you have you gain the opportunity to expand with them. For us, expansion is new members, new people coming in to get more value. So we do everything we can to take care of those people. Speaking of retention is a new acquisition and velvet ropes. Yep. Within the community, there's another velvet rope, right? Like there is the regular community member. Actually, there's a couple, right? Because it's like the regular community member, there's the emerging CMO, and then the CMO talk. Talk me through the velvet ropes within the community and how that applies. So, so we've actually unified the CMO and ECMO like group into one, which is just marketing leaders. We're playing with the idea of having some subsets still, but what we found is one, CMOs are quite busy. So trying to get them active in events can be tough. Emerging, they want to have the conversation. So a lot of times it's one-sided for the CMO, but what we try to do is make it a little bit just more broad that people could come in. If you're a marketing leader and you have the same goal of progressing in your career, one, if you're further along, you can help the people behind you. If you're behind, you can help with, hey, these are good people you might want to hire. These are good people that you might want to ask you know, more tactical questions. So we try to unify that. So we, we do have the one kind of velvet rope, but really, if it's as easy as you want to progress in your career, this is where you want to be. Like, yes, the main community will do it too, but it's a little bit more structured. We're doing some cool things. Actually, you'll be a part of it soon. If you guys don't know, we we recently asked Pablo to actually do a coursework for us on how to build up your podcast, how to get on them, how to be, and he's excellent at it. So I'm sure you guys know you're here. So I, I can't pump it too much, but definitely great at what he does. And that, that's the type of stuff that we want to do for our, our leaders is give them access to people like you. 
that's a great tag because I'm actually going to share a little bit of what I'm going to teach on Wednesday at the Relationship Driven Growth Strategy Session. So stick around, folks. So so it's a little bit more structured. There's a little bit more programming for the for that higher level. And it also comes with this idea. I think Venia, Venia put it in here, right? Exclusivity breeds inclusivity, right? Like the idea that once you're in the emerging CMO, CMO level, you're another another level in to um to bond with kind of like the creme de la creme of the community or the, the more committed members of the community, as it were, right? Committed, but also like, you know, if you want to get somewhere, what do you do? You talk to the people who've already been there. So if I'm a manager trying to hit director level, if I talk to a director or VP, they can give me really good insights. For CMOs, we try to we try to create some value there. And we'll do some other things for them as well, just to kind of give them their own space and let them talk to people. Like every so often, we'll bring in some VCs and have just CMO conversations with venture capitalists and things like that. So it's it's once again, just like, how do we provide that value for everybody that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. And that reminds me of, <clears throat> I remember when we were, my first foray into community building was these young professional groups for different charities in Miami. And I remember at one point, one of the bigger young professional groups decided to launch like a older young professional and a younger young professional group. And we're all like, what are these people doing? And it ended up working out really, really well because it, it it was able to keep more people like each other in each group. And then there was that journey of like graduating into the other one, right? Because when you're like me, who was 37 in a young professional group, I was like, am I really a young professional? You know, like, and uh, I, I like it, man. So, so Venya's got a question here. Let's, uh, let, let's dive into that. Wow. It's not even, you blew her mind with the retention is the new acquisition. So she, she's putting in here. Wow. It's not even retention over acquisition. It's like a straight up replacement. Does that suggest that focusing on acquisition should take a backseat entirely rather than simply reprioritizing? What do you think about that? Well, there's a lot to unpack in that. So a couple things. At a certain stage, retention is everything. I mean, if you've saturated the market, if I'm Oracle, I am focused on retention and expansion with existing you know, people. We're at a certain size where we can focus there. And because we're a PLG motion or product-led growth, you can go and sign up yourself. You don't need a salesperson. And, and just so you know, I'm geeking out a little bit because I, I run a company that we're about good market. So it is all we do all day long. And, and really, it comes down to what motion are you running? For us, this is product-led growth. We th- This is about your brand will drive the acquisition, which is established and is only growing from the people that we are taking care of. The brand can be driven through retention and giving people an amazing experience. So really, it kind of does both for you. You don't You don't suffer from massive churn down the road because you're taking care of your people. And because you're taking care of those people, they're bringing in new people too because they love it and they want to share it. Yeah, I believe it, man. I, I I always, my big thing that I like to talk about is the game of business is a game of cost of client acquisition plus operational costs has to be less than lifetime value. Yep. And the only thing to me that drives down cost of client acquisition, increases lifetime value, keeping operational costs constant is really great relationships like a community, <laughs> right? They do. Um, they do. Yeah. So cool, man. I want to get back to go to market later. For right now, I'd love to get into when when you guys want to start. Did, did you take advice? Did you like hire a consultant? Did you go to people for advice? Anything we we like definitely that? talked to people. We did not hire a consultant. We just talked to people more to like bang the idea off of them. Like, what do you think? Would this be something you'd be interested in? You know, doing your market research up front to understand, you know, is there a product that would fit? And, you know, you're always looking for product market fit early. We weren't sure. 
And I think we got enough positive feedback. And, you know, the, the problem that I always find with doing one-to-one research, everybody will say yes, but until they open their wallet and pay for something, it makes no difference. So we would get on calls and literally say, this isn't great. Why don't you sign up? Here you go. Here's a link. And we'd see who signed up. And we actually had people sign up for it. We were, okay, cool. And that's when we knew we had something. Because it wasn't about a yes, 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 we're interested. Because, you know, look, if you've ever been on a call with like a family member or something like that, and you you know what they're wearing is ugly as hell, but you don't want to make them feel bad. That's how it goes when you're trying to find product market fit by talking to people. So highly recommend get people to pull out that credit card and pay for whatever whatever it is you're offering. And then, you know, you got something. Have you read The Mom Test? Have you read that book? Mm-hmm. So there's a book. It's exactly that. It's it's all about qualitative research on, you know, figuring out if you have something. And it's called The Mom Test because you can't – if you ask your mom if she likes something, she's like, yeah, I love it. So it's like, what questions do you ask in order to really figure out if you have something? And it also – it has a lot to do with like, you know, have this conversation in a way where you're figuring out what they would pay to solve blah, 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 and then be like – well, we have this thing that's like this, or you want to do it, and then you really know if you have something. I think it's really well done. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in, connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. I I love the idea of rolling out a community the same way that you roll out a lean product, right? Like this is kind of, it sounds like it's basically what y'all did, right? Like you just had a thesis, you went out to the market, got the insights, sold it, and then you continue to iterate. And And, and this wasn't V1 either. So we actually started with a newsletter. So if you look back and you can look at Sandra's Sandra's newsletters, we started with that and we realized people wanted content that was bite-sized. So if you look at all the content players out there, you know, there's all those like trying to remember some of the names of them, but like there's they're just like they were bite sized chunks. Like, oh, that's what people want. Because, you know, we all now have the attention span of an ant. And so it was like, well, maybe this is it. And we just realized like there was no engagement back. And that's what kind of started shifting us over to the community side. So, you know, it, it definitely was a we, we approached it like any other business, like what works, what doesn't, what fits, what doesn't. And keep it calling. Interesting. Any advice that you are glad that you ignored or bad advice that you wish you had ignored that when you guys first started or thesis that you had, they're like, nah, that wasn't it. Well, everybody immediately started talking about monetization and they're like, well, you can do this and you can bring in sponsors and you, you know, sponsors are all that matter because they pay for everything. And we have no sponsors. We never have. The only time we've ever used a sponsor is like when we do a big event and they want to be a part of it. Like we did a boat trip after B2B SMX and we got everybody on the boat and toured around Boston and had a blast like then. But other than that, you know, we've kept it out. We said no sales from day one. And people are like, hey, you want to allow them to do this? They'll pay you a lot. I am very glad that we went with what our gut said because I I, I personally don't like being in those communities. They always turn into just big self-ass and people disappear. 
So that that would be my one that I was like, yeah, we're not listening to that one. Thank God. Love that. Love that. What about, talk to me about things that you have, talk to me about like aha moments of what has developed from like, you started with this and then you realize, oh, let's do this. You talked about invite only as one thing. Give me, give me a couple other things in onboarding. Were there, were there like moments of evolution? Oh God, we, we didn't onboard at all at first, which we thought that the platform was intuitive enough. What you realize is even something that's intuitive, you, you got to hand walk people and create an experience. So we were kind of playing around and we were looking at our retention numbers and we were like, well, what's going on? And we were looking at utilization on the platform and how many touches there were and you know how long people stayed when they had an onboarding or when they had a certain experience and not. And so we said, well, let's test it. Let's just do onboardings every week, hands-on, high touch, and, and see if we can create a better experience. And you know, when we do an onboarding, so every time I do an onboarding, not only do I walk them through the platform and literally show them all the features, we get them to do a first post. We tag people into it. We get them engaged with the community on, on go. And, you know, look, any product-led growth person, like they understand this. You are going to find every lever you need to pull and get them activated because when you activate, they expand. So the idea was retention is going to really make a difference. So let's put the actual hands on time. And look, I am busy as heck. I mean, Pablo, you know it. I am, you know, we just got back from Seattle and and still almost all the time I am doing the onboardings to this day. And we've been doing it for years now. So, you know, this is one of those things that if you put in the real time and effort, and is it scalable? I mean, yes and no, I could have somebody else do it. I mean, every so often, if I'm sick or something, our community manager, Terry will do it. But I just believe in if, you know, the aha here was, and the the cool thing was this made such a difference to the way people engaged within the community. You know, we set the standard day one this is how we do it. If you want to be a part, this is how you do it too. And I think that's what's brought on this mentality of everybody's open to getting on calls. You know, I mean, I have not been in a community before where you could ping someone and say, I love that post. I'd love to just chat. And someone will say, sure, they could be an SDR. They could be a CMO. It doesn't matter. They'll do it. And, and that that probably is my most proud, I guess, thing that has come from the community itself. The people have taken on that mentality that we we, we brought to it. Yeah, really cool. And I, and I experienced that immediately, right? Like I got the onboarding with you. So it's just to make it clear, you basically just have every Friday, you have a slot where you onboard new members. It's you, you show up, you walk them through it. They connect to each other. You're talking through the platform and you make and make a post that engages somebody else. And then the community knows to go in and make them feel welcome, which yeah. I think is absolutely brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. Suzanne, Suzanne Taylor King, who's got a Mighty Networks community, she's like, love this onboarding, doing it. Yeah, for sure, Suzanne. I think it's going to work out really nicely for you. What about with programming, man? What's been the evolution with like style of programming that you believe that you thought would work and then you tweak something better? Well, some things we thought would work and they did, but it's hard to keep up. We were doing 12 to 15 events a month. And that's a lot. lot. If If you've run events, that's a lot of events. And so we had member led events. We brought in external events. We did every type you could think. And so we really pulled it back to say, which ones bring the most value? And it's really hard because some members really value certain ones, but there's not enough of them. And the thing that I hate the most about business when it comes to this stuff is, I wish we could do events for everyone individually. You just can't. So you've got to, you know, you've got to optimize for the biggest audience you can serve within that community. Right now we do, like I run a monthly one specifically around like career progression, you know, how do you create your brand? How do you build up the right profile? How do you, you know, create a true brand that you can then expand upon, whether it be 
online or in person. We do big events, mega events where we'll bring in a big name. And then we still do some member-led events. They're a little bit more sporadic because what we do is now we go, hey, if you show within the community that people are interested, we will do the event with you. So we've got our three flavors. We're, we're bringing in, like we've got one coming up, one of the VPs and CMO of Vanner Media. So if you guys know Van, Gary Vanerchuk, one of his heavy hitters is coming in to say, how does Vanner Media market? We have a guy who, who wrote one of the quintessential marketing books coming in to do one. So you name it, that's how we're, that's how we try to think about it is like, how do we just bring the most value that you can walk away with and not just get motivated, but have real takeaways that you can then go implement or do. Which, uh, which marketing book here are we talking about? What, uh, uh, the new rules of marketing. Oh, okay. Awesome, man. Um, he's got like a three name. It's like a three name name, right? Like, uh, Meerman Scott. Yeah. David Meerman Scott. Oh, awesome, man. I'm super, I, I didn't realize and that we had either. Lee Odin is coming. We've got all kinds of crazy, great people coming. And one of the great things that we love to do is source from the community. What do you want? Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get you get some crazy stuff and then, you know, it's our job to go get it for you. It's awesome, man. I remember, so I like this, right? So cater to the events that draw the most breath instead of trying to do the most events, I think is a big takeaway. I remember early on when I joined in, it was before Terry was there. What was the name of the community manager? She was out of Hawaii. Anyways, she uh, she she onboarded me and she allowed me to do you know, my presentation of like, oh, I want to present how we did this whole like $40 million thing. We had like a good like 20 people show up, Sangram showed up. I thought it was awesome. And I just thought it was really, really cool that there is the path of you're going to bring in big names. You're going to do the stuff that you do every single month of your expertise and then allowing people to present on their own. And I love the idea that now you are thinking if you can, if you can drum up enough interest will do it. And I remember I took that as an opportunity. I remember somebody had posted when Christopher Lockett started talking about like the ABT storytelling framework and Park Howell started evangelizing that. Somebody said, hey, can we get this person? I was like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to Park Howell and have him on my podcast. And I had a bunch of like peak community members come onto the podcast, right? So nowadays, I, I guess what I'm seeing that melted away was more like the Oh, you were doing like a yoga class with somebody that was a community member, or it, it just seemed much less congruent to the the stuff that people were asking for. What were the what were the signals? Was it like low show up rate to the smaller events? Was it just like burnout for the community manager? What? How did you how did you start figuring that out? I, a lot of it, we looked at show up rates. We looked at you know how many people were even RSVPing. You know, I, I mean, if anyone who does events knows, an average show up rate is about fifty percent of registrants. You know, maybe a little lower, maybe a little higher, depending on how good you are or how, how you know, how high touch. And when you start seeing them drop below that, when you start seeing RSVPs decline, you know, something's off. So we we just try to keep our finger on the pulse pretty regularly, like on a monthly basis. We're going running through all the numbers, just like any other business, looking to see what's working and what's not. You know, like our ultimate is we focus on the members and it really just comes down to, you know, we'll ask and then we'll look at data. And then we'll try something and then we'll look at data. And, you know, it's just an evolutionary, you know, consistent thing because there's no like you're not going to get a silver bullet. Everybody thinks that these companies have silver bullets. It's a silver bullet made in eight years, you know, so it's just it's just constant work and, and evolution. 
I love it, man. I, I mean, to me, this is entrepreneurship. This is <laughs> like building a community. It's a, it's like building a business, man. Um, I want to talk about the thing that I think is the silver bullet that really attracts me to the community. It's what we were talking about, right? Like your, I call it being the stage. It's what I named my company after, right? It's the idea that you know that it's not about you and it's how you can highlight others and empower them to like be seen based on your platform that really allows people to connect. And I saw it very quickly in the sense that like within the first two months of me being super active, you highlighted me as a like community member of the of the month, right? Like normally I see people doing communities are just like, well, you got to save the good stuff for when like you really earn it instead of just like give it to somebody if, if it's if it's ready to go or allowing them to speak. Can you tell me a little bit about you, you also have like a magazine where you highlight it's like a like an online publication where you highlight people and you've got you've gotten very methodical about like highlighting the members to each other and mm -hmm. highlighting the members to the exterior world. Right. Was that talk to me about the evolution of that idea? Was that from day one? How are we going to do this? Did it evolve with content? Talk, talk to me about how that evolved. It came pretty quickly. If you keep the mentality that the members are the entire point of why you're doing it then it makes a lot of sense to give them the stage. You know, our big fear, honestly, Sangram has a pretty good platform. A lot of people know him. And we didn't want it to become Sangram's community. We wanted this to be a standalone that brought, that the value was the people and the people brought the value, right? And we're obviously trying to also drive value for sure. But it was always about highlight the people. And I think that, that was, you know, maybe it was a stroke of genius. Maybe it was a whole bunch of luck. I'll take it either way. You know, sometimes better to be lucky, right? And we just said, like, they matter more than we do. So how do we give them more? I mean, if people communicate with us internally in the community, you know, we always try to help them. You know, I, I'll tell you, we've had people who let us know, hey, I'm having a, a, a rough time right now. And we go, hey, you got six months of free membership. Let us know if you need more. Because wow. it always comes down to, like, it, they're more important than we are. And if we can help in any way, we want to. And I, and I think that's what's really created the environment. You know, I, I still feel that communities take on the essence of what the founders did, right? And and I I feel very proud that like that's how we approached it, and it really has worked. How has content become a piece of that, right? Like, was it? I feel like you are a natural, very skilled networker, so you understand this idea of like highlight others. Mm -hmm. How did you start thinking, all right, let's do like a spotlight of the month. Let's do a member led thing here. When you launched the juice platform, right? Like the, the content platform, I remember you bringing on people and it was like Lydia and all these other folks that were coming on. And I could tell that they were coming on specifically to say other people's names while they were talking about why they like the community. Like it was very clear to me that they were like looking for a name and the name and the name. And I like you and I like you. And then the next person comes on and is like, I like you. Like how, just, am I right there? Like, were you like, all right, man, call as many names out as you can while you're given the stage. Did that happen naturally? Yeah. Completely naturally. And, and, and like I said, I think that's what makes the community so special. Super cool. You know, like we, yeah try to highlight the people that are givers like us that they, you know, and, and I don't say that like to be like, Oh, wow, we're great. But I, I truly believe it give without expectation. Sangram believes in gives without expectation. And that's what we want the community to be like. We all try to give without expectation and create a better world, not just better for me, but better for all of us. 
And so that's why I think those types of things occur naturally and organically because, you know, people like Lydia, I mean, they're, they're great human beings who really do care about people. And that's what we've tried to seed a little bit initially, but it has now been so organic that, you know, we always say, you know, you guys are the stewards of this community. We want people like you in here. So make sure that when you accept somebody, you feel that they are the right fit. And I, I think that that's worked. I mean, we're not a 20,000 person community, but our engagement's probably as high as one, if not more, you know, it's. Yeah. Well, what about like the super fans? Like, how do you, how do you get like a Kaleem and a Paul and all this stuff? Are you, did you, did you actively recruit people in that regard and say, Hey, I want, I want somebody that's like at a point where they can make a career out of like connecting people. Was that, did that happen? Was that just obvious to them? Talk to me about, talk to me about kind of like the, the ambassadors that clearly like take it as a part-time job. How does that work? I mean, some of it organically, some not. So initially, you know, you get moderators because you don't want it to get too crazy. And if you can't be in there, you don't want anything to happen. So we started with the idea of we'd have moderators. So like Paul, Kaleem, some of those people were moderators initially. And yeah. we just said, cool. So I would meet with them, you know, once a week, just touching base. Here's what's going on. What do you guys think? Gave mm-hmm. them the ability to have some say in what was happening within the community. And I think they appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're great. And they were great, man. They brought in a bunch of people and we're always yeah. like, I remember talking to Kaleem. Kaleem's like, I just want to make sure that if somebody posts, they get a reaction. <laughs> like, I haven't talked to him in a while. I got to reconnect with him. But um, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Man. That's, that's really, really interesting. Let's talk about, can we talk about go-to-market partners a little bit? Sure. And then it's your podcast. We can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Have you listened to Boomerverse by Big Boy yet? I have not heard it yet. All right. We get, we gotta which is sad, that. which is we sad. That, that's how much I'm traveling, but now <laughs> I've got to go look. Oh, wait, but have you listened to Daily Bread? I have not listened to Daily Bread. So Check out same, Daily same. Bread. So same, same. You got me. All right, but So let's talk about go-to-market. Talk, first of all, for since this is a community podcast, what is go-to-market? What is go-to-market partners? Just give us the, the quick break. Sure. Well, there's no unified definition of go-to-market as we're finding in the, out there. Go-to-market is every aspect of how you not only take your product or offering to market, but how you keep people engaged within that cycle. So we have what we call our go-to-market operating system, which starts with who the heck am I going after? Who am I trying to sell to? What do they need? Into what we call market investment mapping, which is all about what do I sell them? What product, what geo, what title, all these things, and, and how do they all fit together? And an example of that, you, you've got a product, you're looking to acquire another product. Is it the same person you're selling to, the same ICP? Is it something different? Is it a new go-to-market motion? And then you know, different decisions have to be made. You get into your brand and demand components, which is everybody probably knows. It's like, how do you drive that pipeline, that demand that people want it? And then we get into into pipeline velocity, which is your sales or ABM, that kind of movement, getting them through and in through the sales. Now, I think the least discussed and focused on right now are these two parts, which is your customer time to value and customer expansion. Hmm. Take care of your customer and the rest takes care of everything else. You know, that if you can find a way to bring customer success or the idea of what the experience is going to look like into that prior to the handoff for an onboarding. You've done a much better job. You have much higher likelihood of getting them up and running faster where they get to actually understand the value that's being created for them. And then that wins you the opportunity to potentially expand as you have new opportunities. It makes sense. And then you get into your rev ops, central source of truth, data. 
I'll tell you this. I'm a huge believer that RevOps should live with either the CEO, the CFO, or the COO. It should never live within marketing, sales, or any other organizational structure because it needs to be open to be able to give you what's really happening from the data. That's just something that we're big proponents of. And then finally, it's the the, the leadership and management. Yeah. Everything people. Cadences for meetings down to people management, taking care of them, everything in that in that space. When you tie that whole thing together, you create a rocket ship. And it's not so much the idea of like money, 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 money. It's how do you create a business that is efficient, effective, and brings people what they really need and want? That means that product is a part of the mix. It's not just sales and marketing. And it's not just sales, marketing, customer success. Product is huge. And that's something that, that gets forgotten. You know, it's like if I get feedback from CS or marketing that says, our customers have really wanted this thing, but products in a bubble saying, this is cool, let's build it. And it's not what anyone wants. You got to miss. So we're just big proponents. Of like, how do we do business better to really think about the customer first, bring them a great experience, not make it feel forced, not throw them into you know a blender that just spits them out the other side where you get churn all day long. And so we started a company called Go-To-Market Partners, and, and we're an analyst firm. So we're not like, you're not coming to us and saying, do it for us, but we'll help you understand what is the market. We've got partnerships with companies like G2 and others, and we're basically building that up so we can be completely data-driven. We'll still talk to human beings like other analyst firms, but for us, we want to back it with data. We want to make sure that the data supports what we're seeing from the people. Because look, I can talk to you and 20 other people today, and you can give me one perspective. It may not be accurate for the whole market. So we just believe in doing it a little bit better. We don't want to stack rank people and say, this software is better than this. Well, what's the use case? Is it better for this use case or that? So we're just trying to, to help people really understand what go-to-market is, understand how to do it a little bit better and, and go from there. I love it, man. And it feels like the, you know, I read, I obviously read Sangram's book and uh, it is great. And I, you know, like for me, the, the the layperson takes away go to market is marketing sales customer success right and i love that you've kind of like articulated more of a specific all the way around wheel that includes two things that i've been super obsessed with lately which is the offer right like what you, what you call what you call time to value to me is something that i that I obsess in like, what's the offer? How do you make this like unbeatable offer so that there's a quick win that, you know, the win is front loaded. The value is there at the time where it's most excited and you're willing to cut the biggest check because you're most excited to then like get you on a success plan that costs less uh, both operationally and pocketbook wise that allows you to maintain and be successful for a long time. And then the other thing that you alluded to is the team piece, right? Like the, the culture of a business to me has become this like really, I don't know if I've, I've called it undervalued or maybe I'm just like cognitively biased now because I only talk to people that really, really believe in investing in team. But this idea that if every single time I talk to your company, I have a wonderful experience because the person I'm talking to is smart, happy, knows what they're doing and can definitely help you. That is such a huge recipe for success that I love that it's part of the go-to-market conversation. Is that, you know, how have you seen that conversation evolve over time? Is that is that kind of like a new thing? Am I cognitively biased? Is it here? I don't know if it's a new thing. Uh, I do think that the best companies bring in the, the right people and then treat them really well. 
and give them access, give them upward mobility. They have the conversations about what's in it for them. Not always about the company only, because you know those like bo- those bonus structures that don't tie anything to your actual performance. It's all based on the company. That's a big miss. How do we incentivize our people? You know, how do we think about what their needs are when you see people just throwing out random um, benefits? Like, oh, we have this now and this and this, and it's like they're looking for anything. It's like, well, go talk to your people and find out what they want. That that's one of the things that I think is starting to shift. There's a lot more focus. The best companies are one; they're spending the money to hire the right people. Uh, they're bringing in the A players. And if they don't, they're also spending the money to train them, give them access and help them become A players, which I think that's even more important, honestly. Yeah, totally, man. I think the whole, the what's in it for them thing to me is the the crucial thing, right? Like in this, and and I tie it, I tie it back to the same thing with, you know, transparency and community and all, and all these motions. But like in a world of, completely free information gathering and now we are totally mobile right like i can now get a job anywhere in the world living in jacksonville right so like entry barriers to mobility are are gone and if we don't really focus on this idea of like what's in it for you as a as a person working for me whether or not you're going to be here in 15 years or not right like um, we, we, we've got Rita on my team. We just sent a great question when I asked you that, right? Like, I remember when Rita first came to us, I was like, listen, we're gonna, you're, you're going to have this title at our job at, at, at our company, because I believe that this title will get you a better job if you ever decide to leave. <laughs> right. And we're going to expose you to this stuff because this is what's going to prevent you from being pigeonholed as a, uh, woman assistant because you're young and whatever. Right. Because this is the stuff that you need to see, because while I hope that you stay with me for 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 as long as possible, you know, it's important to me that you understand that our our goals are aligned, uh, whether it's in this company or not. Right. And I don't know, man, what when did you start kind of understanding that stuff? A while ago, when I sold my last company, I kind of got a little obsessed with it. And I was a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, I was looking at like HR transformation. But a lot of the stuff that I was talking about was just. It's more about taking care of the people. It's, it's more about bringing them in in a way where you go, my my job is to make you so good that you leave and go get that title that you can't get here. And with that mentality came a lot of, well, there's pushback at the time because people are like, hey, if somebody's great at something, you should let them do that. Well, sure, if that's what they want. But if their goal is to progress in their career, great. And then also empower them and give them information. I, we, we talk to so many people who come to us and they say, I think I want to be a CMO. And then we help them understand what that means. Like, you know what? I don't want to be a CMO. <laughs> not at all, right? Like when you realize as a CMO at certain size company, you're not even a marketer anymore. You don't touch marketing. It is, is a lever. You're a business leader that uses marketing as your lever to achieve your business objectives. It is a different world. So, you know, if you can help people understand what they're getting into, empower them to do it. You're going to have happier people. You're going to have more fun. I mean, as, as, as a business owner, you know, you want to be around people that want to be there, that love what you're doing. And, you know, we go to war together every day. Might as well surround yourself with the people <laughs> that have your back, right? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. Um, I'm going to make Rana a, a co-host real quick so she can start letting people up as we start wrapping this up. We're going to head into Relationship Driven Growth Strategy Sessions AMA at 5.30. Just, you know, the, the the big question that kind of like pops out to me in this conversation is, 
Where does community fit in go-to-market? I mean, it's a go-to-market motion for sure. There is uh, community-led growth for sure, um, but it can be a part of an inbound strategy. It can be a part of an outbound strategy. It fits so many places. I think community is extremely powerful if done right. And I still think that the vast majority of, uh, at least what I see, the vast majority of companies create community in a way that they think would work, where they say it's about us and our product. So they use the community to sell. Um, I am a big believer the only types of communities that really work uh, are, are those that are built to answer the, like address the problem. So uh, Sangram was fantastic at this. He built a community called Flip My Funnel, tens of thousands of people. It had nothing to do with Terminus, which he co-founded. It was about changing the game of how we go to market and how we do marketing. And it, it, it spearheaded the idea of ABM, taking the 1% and converting. Not one time, and you can, he's got hundreds of podcast episodes. Will you ever hear him reference Terminus on his own? Someone else might bring it up, but he does not. Yeah. And that's a huge component of it. It's not about selling. It's about creating a community around a problem and helping to solve it together. As a byproduct, sometimes people go, hey, I know what you do. I'd love to work with you. Sure. But not all the time. And it's never been about that. So the big problem with, with community-led that I see at this point is everybody's trying to figure out how to drive ROI. Like, well, if I put my salespeople into the community, they can sell there. It's like, yeah, it's the fastest way to destroy your community. Go to town. Um, so it, it fits in, in a no, number, number of ways. I think it is a fantastic... Okay, what, what, what do you think is the best way to prove ROI? Like, what do you, how do you, what do you think is the answer to that? If it's not having salespeople in there, where do you get, where do you get ROI from it? How do you sell it to like, I mean, look, attribution, man. Uh, where, where'd you hear about us? Who'd you talk to? You know, uh, we'll, we'll go a little, little crust walker. It's like the dark funnel. It's like, you got to ask, don't expect them to do a drop down and be like, I heard of you here. No, get on a freaking call. You'll find out real fast. Attributions a lot. You'll learn very quickly that a good portion of your business probably touched it at some point. Yeah. And that's, you know, because look, buying decisions are, are, are like different than they've ever been. We go and hunt for everything in advance before we engage with the salesperson. Well, if I'm in a community and I can find out more from other people who have already engaged with them, I know if I want to touch base or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. I, I feel like we're moving as we get as information and freedom of information becomes so like commoditized, we're moving into this world where qualitative data is everything, man. So like whether whether you have the systems to measure that qualitative data, right? Having that conversation at scale, how, how can you do that? Self-reported attribution, Chris Walker, or how can you get qualitative data from your community to then improve your product so that you're actually offering the thing to the people that they actually want? Feels like it's it's where it's all all going. And I see community as this like, I, I see it as like pipeline acceleration more than anything is where, where, where I'm finding the value in, in our experiments and our, in our clients. It's more like we are social animals. I feel like social validation is kind of like the oldest thing in the book of influence. And if you can have two people talking about you without you there in front of somebody that's thinking about whether or not you're real, that's it. Right. So it's like, how can you engineer those things that skip? And, and, you know, I, I do think that, yes, we all come to it with the idea that we want it to be something, but I think we have to kind of step back a bit and say, how do I just make this great? The byproduct happens whether you like it or not, yeah. but you do have to focus on the, the people that you serve first. And if a community doesn't serve the people that are in it, they'll leave very quickly. 
So, I mean, hey, if, if, and you're right. It is pipeline acceleration. It's everything. It is. But but I will say that there's not always a community for that, right? Everybody wants to create a community. And, you know, there's there's certain groups that don't want a community. You know, I've, I've, I've been in some developer co- communities where they just kind of like, there's no communication, right? There's no one talking. There's nothing happening. And hey, that's great for them. But so there's not always a community for that. But if there is, hey, ha- have at it. It's powerful. I love it, man. I love it. Judd, you have not disappointed, my friend. I had really, really high expectations for this conversation. I just, I, I greatly appreciate, like I, I have no idea how to purposefully be the guy behind the guy and really be in it because I'm such a youngest child millennial. But it's it's very clear to me that you have this like understated wisdom, under, you know, like underexposed access to stuff. And you really, really, really get it. And you know how to affect change and influence people without necessarily being the like the flag carrying funny guy that I am. Right. So like I just really, really admire that quality. And I, I really appreciate you making time to come on here and, and be in the archetype. How can how can people how can people connect with you? What's your what is how does someone help Judd if they are on this call and they think you're awesome? Or can uh, I go to LinkedIn, connect with me. I, I look at all my messages. I'd love to jump on calls with any of you guys who who want to. Happy to chat about whatever. You know, I'm a giver by nature. So when people go, how do we help you? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, like it, it's almost uncomfortable. But, you know, I will say I'll give you that 20 bucks later for all the kind words. <laughs> I told you, I warned you. I warned you I was going to talk about you. Awesome, man. Well, we're going to kick it into relationship-driven growth. You're invited to stay. I assume that you have 55 meetings, man. So I will see you on Wednesday, man. I really, oh. Thanks a million for letting me like talk to the group, by the way. I really appreciate it. I forgot to, forgot to show that gratitude. So yeah, man, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Okay. And guys, please, truly, I, I'd love to talk to any of you. So if you want to reach out, happy to chat. There you go. Major man crush on full display uh, between me and Judd there. I uh, just can't speak any higher for, about my respect for his accomplishment. If you enjoy me gushing all over people, about communities that they have built, you're going to want to check out episode 189 with Francisco Arizmendi, who uh, built an incredible, incredible community for fresh books. And uh, we talk about his playbook. His was more of like a in-person live events uh, playbook that I really, really admire. So go check that out. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you join us at one of these ones, one of these next live shows. Go to the link in the comments, register or connect with me on LinkedIn. And as always, got to, got to, got to thank my team, right? The people that make this thing happen, the heartbeat of Be The Stage, which is my teammate, Rowan, my account manager who makes sure that I'm doing all the right things at the right time, or at least tries to make that happen, JP our um, head of creative, our, he is uh, was employee number one. He's the guy that's made everything look cool, sound good, um, amazing graphics and iconography and everything that we do. Couldn't do it without JP. Gina, who is our chief heart officer. She is the queen of our culture. She is the one that built this team that uh, we all love each other so much on and do some of the best work of our lives together. Marge, who is... 
her beating heart, and she doesn't function without Marge. Marge is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Our other account managers, Joanna, who's had incredible growth working for us. I love watching it. Joy Sue um, is superhuman, just had her... Uh, her, her newest baby and is already back to work because she loves being part of the team. Rita, our content strategist, who is making sure that the things we promise are the things we deliver to clients. Philippe, our newest uh, video editor, graphic designer. And, um, you know, just couldn't do it without everybody else. So really, really pumped. Thank you to the team. And I just want to encourage you to always remember, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm rereading Jim Collins's Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0. It's so clear that it's people that make the difference in a successful business. That it's the respect that you have between the people in your company, between you and your clients, between you and the market, and how that endures. And it's just a total, total evidence of the fact that relationships will always beat transactions. See you next week.